All right. Uh, we are two minutes past five o'clock central time. So uh, apologies for being slightly tardy. Uh, I'm Seth Partnow. This is Colin Schatz on the Colin Pod. You know me from The Athletic, uh, Stats Bomb, and the Mid Range Theory, still available in uh, online retailers everywhere. Um, it's uh, People still love it. So good times. I am joined today by uh, certainly one of the best follows on basketball Twitter. Um, and and someone with a wide ranging experience and sort of viewpoint about kind of the business and play of NBA basketball, uh, Nate Jones of of Goodwin Sports. Nate, thanks thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Seth. I I feel like you're you were the way you were talking about all the the places that you were available is almost like them uh, announcing Apollo Creed with all of his uh, <laughs> all of his different titles. I was waiting for the Count of Monte Cristo to be listed there, but. You know, um, thanks for having me on. Does that mean a Jokic brother is going to come, like, punch me in the face? And if, if he dies, he dies. And, <laughs> yeah, and, basically. Basically. Yeah. But you're, 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 you're pretty pro Jokic, so I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I mean, we can we we can talk about that, but you know, there's the, the, someone asked me a couple of weeks ago, like, why there was, like, the outrage about, like, Grayson Allen's foul on Alex Caruso when yeah. there wasn't for. And it was like, come on, man. Like, yeah. it's, because Jokic be... just is is generally does not like Grayson Allen has a reputation all the way back from high school of doing these type of well, well, well not just that it's just like yeah. Alex Caruso is going in for a layup and Markeith Morris was doing what he was doing so that but that's you know um sorry we got very off track there yeah. I, I, I wanted to start because as I said in the intro like you you are not someone who kind of works in the the official basketball world and that like you you've you've never been with the team or anything like that but you're someone who is around basketball and kind of of the greater nba and knows and and observes a ton about the game and we've seen in the last i don't know five years a little bit longer a little bit less an influx of people into front offices you know whether it's agents and then this year with nico harrison coming from nike to run the the Mavs, people with with more varied professional backgrounds coming into the game. And I think that's a good thing. Um, first of all, do you agree with, with both my assessments that that's happening more and that it's a good thing? And assuming you do, why is it a good thing? Oh, I definitely agree that it's a good thing. Let's take the Nico thing, for instance. I've known Nico the um, entire time I've been in the business. And, you know, what people think is, oh, he's, uh, you know, he just worked for Nike and what does he know? He's working on sneakers. What does he know about basketball? Whatever. This is someone that was amazing in high school basketball, amazing as a college basketball player, played overseas and then made a business decision that he saw an opportunity for himself to build up in within Nike and went into Nike, a company where people have you know, everyone dreams. It's almost like competing for a GM position, right? Um, where, you know, the best of the best that can't be can't be professional athletes, but have an athlete's mentality and competitiveness um, and some of the smartest people in business and marketing. And he works his way up to being a, a vice president at, of, of Nike. Like, that's, this isn't just some random guy. This is a guy that knows a lot, understands players, has worked in every single aspect of basketball. Um, and I think, uh, you know, having the knowledge of how to run a business, how to organize people, how to motivate people, do all those things, have the knowledge around basketball itself, negotiate 
contracts with basketball players. And then what people forget is the Nike aspect. They're, they're uh, researching and connecting with these players and families at a really early age. That's like the main aspect of what his job was. He, you know, EYBL, the circuit that, that everyone plays on at a grassroots level, you know, all that stuff ran through him. So he knows every single player that's out there probably as much as any player, any, um, you know, traditional front off, front office exec, someone that's come up through the ranks and that aspect. Um, and then the play, the, I think the additional thing that you add with him, especially when you're dealing with like, you know, when you're talking about, uh, a front office person, um, really they're a chief executive, right? Like they're the face of the front office and he has a relation relationships with people that, you know, most people that are coming up through the ranks are just unknown. They're not going to have that sort of relationship. The cachet that he has where you say Nico and everyone in basketball knows who you're talking about. Um, that's why um, bringing on someone like him is valuable to someone like Mark Cuban and why Mark Cuban is, you know, an outside the box thinker is going to try to do something like that. And really, the the same uh, many of the same arguments hold for you know a Leon Rose or some something like that who is who is yeah they're, they're, in a slightly different way but plugged slightly in. different way but it's it's the same thing in terms of relationships and you know obviously Leon's connected to to Wes and there's a whole thing around what you know that relationship brings to the table but yeah it's it's thinking about it in different ways and really at the end of the day especially in this, this not just free agency, but just all of um, basketball transactions, period, it's a relationship business. And I think owners are starting to realize that more and more. You're, it, and it's almost like you're trying, you have this competing, the, you have this competing thing between, you know, the, 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 the quant and analytics aspect, which I don't think you have to like be one or the other, but ownership is very comfortable and understands that because that's a lot of what goes into their own businesses and how they're making decisions around their businesses and making money and things of that nature. And then you have the relationship side of it where a lot of the people that come from that background don't necessarily have that. So the sweet spot is someone that's kind of played in both, played in both worlds, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. I think um, just in your your last answer or your last little bit about it being a relationship business, this is something I've sort of been thinking about a little bit. The best way to to go about kind of talking about it is every org like there's like you see a lot of talk about culture and being a first class org and and players first and stuff like that. And those are those are easy things to talk about. And at one point, like that was. We have we have the shiniest, fanciest equipment and and facilities and the best plane and stuff like that. I kind of think that there's that, that we're at the point where where that stuff is sort of table stakes, and now yeah. it's now it's more about kind of um, the, almost the area you're talking about. Um, certainly in this era of, and I don't know a I don't know a better term for it. So the, the, this era of player empowerment. Um, sort of the almost a partnership aspect to be able to have those conversations and, and make things that maybe people don't want to hear stick without yeah. it being a thing. Yeah. I think it's important just to think of all areas of the business and um, you know, you can have a lot of different individuals that work in your, your departments and um, under you, but the person that's at, I think the person that is 
like I said, it's almost like a chief executive of basketball operations. The person that's the face of that almost has to be able to wear a lot of different hats and, and put on, um, uh, be recognized and respected in a lot of different hats. But what you're seeing within that beyond that is, you know, you're getting the expert. That's the best quant guy. You're getting the expert that is, uh, the best player relations person, which you're seeing a lot of, a lot of like Nico was different to me because he was, he was a vice president and handling a lot of like business stuff and things of that nature. But a, a lot of folks that are coming from the departments, like what he ran at Nike are coming into teams and becoming like the head of, you know, player relations or their, uh, you know, they, they call it exper- player experience. I think that's the role that they player uh, development is the other, is the other kind of, uh, yeah. And play player development. But sometimes I think player develop that player right. development role is like a mix between like on court, uh, you know, like a player development coach right. and someone that's managing that aspect. And then the, there's the cultural aspect stuff of it, which is the experience stuff. I mean, even the Clippers hiring, um, oh, why am I forgetting my man's name right now? Um, uh, Lee Jenkins, like that, that, that in of itself, just thinking about how to connect with players in different ways. I think teams and ownership are, are considering different avenues versus the, you know, traditional way that we went about things. And last point, we've already talked about this more than I planned on, but oh well. Um, last, I mean, last thing is like you, you're talking about a guy who's a vice president at Nike or a guy who like, ran a large agency and talking mm-hmm. again about Nico Harrison and Leon Rose. And that's just more management experience. Like we, like the picking players part of it is sort of, I don't want to say anyone can do that, but it's pretty easy to get reps on, yeah. on like you, like they're with how available it is to see players, whether on film or in person, like you can, you can get reps at that. You can't like, getting reps at managing a large, a complex organization made up of experts. That's that like someone who comes up through the ranks of basketball doesn't necessarily get that because they're kind of in their one little, their one little box. And yeah, yeah, I, w- I would say that. So the roles that those guys come out of, and I'll tell you just from my experience on the, on the agencies, the sports agency side, I always tell people I'm a middleman. Right. And I think the roles that they were coming out of similar thing, where when you say you're a middleman, you're basically a problem solver. Like your your player comes to you with um, issues, and you have to figure out how to make it work. Or your player comes with the, to you with an idea, and it might be something that you're not even you've never done before in your life. For example, Damian Lillard does music and has a label, and uh, you know he came to us and wanted to figure out how to do it. We had to make it so he wouldn't fall on his face and the business ran correctly and all that stuff. I've never run a music um, entity in my life. I've figured out how to make it happen, put it together, and still do it to this day. So that's kind of the problem-solving aspect that comes to the table. So when you're dealing with people on that level that are coming into a basketball organization, they already love and understand basketball, been around it, all of that. Like, the basketball aspect of it is probably the easiest part. It's... Um, the the hard part is the stuff that they're already experts in because they've been in high level business. Um, so that's that's the that's the aspect. You know, like you're you're in between as a as a executive of a team, 
or on the basketball uh, operation side, you're in between ownership, you're in between players and their agents, you're in between all the staff that you have. I mean, you know all this stuff. You worked for a yeah. team, so there's a there as a, as that executive, you're juggling a lot of things. And anyone that's had that experience as the middleman or as an executive that's had to have all those different part, all those different. Um, departments coming at them and having to manage all of those different outside forces and things of that nature. Um, I think it's, it's the perfect role for guys like that. Sure. When, it, when you say that you're a, you're a problem solver, I basically, I'm now never not going to think of you as Michael Clayton. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe exactly. not. Maybe not some of those those issues, but uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, what's what's the show on show? What's the show on Showtime with the oh billions? Uh, no, not oh, billions. There's there's another Showtime show that was there was a there was a uh, cleaner like that that was you know so- solving problems and stuff like that. But yeah, Wags is Wags is a problem solver, right? Like or yeah. any of those guys on Billions <laughs> are problem solvers. But I mean uh, the the official uh, the official drama of the Bucks front office. Ray Donovan, that's the show on, yeah. on Showtime that I'm thinking of. But yeah, same, same thing. Since uh, no, but since uh, Mark Lazary has uh, made uh, three or four cameos on 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 Billions, it was I wouldn't say it was required watching, but it was encouraged. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so let, let's let's like now we we talk kind of about what your your actual role is. Uh, you know, let's let's talk about that a little bit because you, you mentioned that that you you know you died, but you're role is not kind of the 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 team facing negotiations it's more on the uh, uh, on the endorsements realm and that's something that i think that you know people as fans understand is important and is quite lucrative for for players but don't really understand how it works i frankly don't understand that much how it works i've read stuff on how like the shoe kind of deals work but that that has to be only just a slight part of it so I don't know wherever you want to start. How does yeah? So how does I, it work? <laughs> I, I'll start. You know, just to be clear. So I've I've been I've been working for uh, Goodwin Sports for 14 years. The guys that uh, that run the agency or founded the agency and are, are the you know the face of the agency are twin brothers from Oakland. They've been doing this for 30 years. Their first big client was was Gary Payton in, in 1990, and um, they're still doing it today. Uh, th- their name really got out in the the public uh, discourse uh, because they were LeBron's first agent and you know did 120 million dollars in endorsement deals for him in two years um, and had the number one rookie shoe deal of all time. They did the second largest rookie shoe deal of all time uh, in you know four years later with Kevin Durant and Nike. Um, and a really Aaron specifically is really known for negotiating some uh, um, ridiculous shoe deals and understanding how to navigate all that stuff. Um, and I kind of came in, uh, you know, trying to figure out where, what my niche was going to be. Um, you know, I was interested in the traditional agent route, but, you know, anyone that really understands it, uh, like since the 99 CBA, the the structure of contracts is pretty much like it's all dictated. You're either, you're a max player. I mean, fans all know this. You're a max player. You're a mid-level player. You're a rookie scale player. And there's some in between, but for the most part, almost everyone is slotted. 
So I was really more interested on like the, I was always interested as a kid on the brand building side, the stuff that was going on with sneakers and endorsement deals from, you know, the Gatorades, Hulu's, all that stuff. And then I added another layer to it, which was, you know, what was happening with the digital component and all of that stuff. So, um, I basically, you know, from business development to content development to, you know, uh, working on deals, working on partnerships with all of the different brands, bringing their brands together. This is where I talk about being a middleman where we're doing, you know, an activation with a particular brand. And then I see an opportunity to bring another brand on board and make it, you know, work and flow that way. It's a lot of that. That's what I've been doing for the last 14 years. And it's been, there's been no one better to learn from than, um, you know, the good ones, because they, that's really been the focus of their business. Although Aaron, you know, as a traditional agent has done some great, uh, you know, uh, deals over the years. I mean, you can look at DeMar DeRozan's deal this summer in terms of, um, where he's at the place that he landed and the amount of money that he made. Um, you know, there were a lot of people doubting that he was going to be able to get a deal like that. And Aaron was able to pull it off. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, Pretty much my experience. I, I don't know who would have had that kind of opinion. Oh, wait. No, that was me. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. um, it's uh, like, it, uh, um, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm not saying I'm taking the L on that, but I'm pretty yeah. close. Um, yeah. um, so the, the word brand is almost, in this context, is almost, a, it almost seems like a pejorative now. It's, it's like, it's almost said I feel like it's almost said in, in popular discourse with an eye roll. Oh, his brand, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, but especially as we're, and we're going to talk about NIL in a second, I think, but especially with that, it, it, I think that's just a word for, for taking ownership of kind of one's own career, isn't it? You're talking about, uh, for brand itself, yeah. For like, when you mentioned like a like a player's brand. Yeah, it's so. So here's the thing. I, I think that when we get in these discussions all the time on um, Twitter about uh, you know what fans are interested in, what you know Twitter events, the Twitter fan base is one thing versus like <laughs> what the general actual fan is interested in. I've been watching the NBA my entire life. I'm I am a NBA super fan. I have no problem saying that. I used to watch every single sport growing up, and they've all fallen to the wayside as I've gotten older. And basketball is still, particularly the NBA, is still um, something that I dive into a lot. Um, and I think the thing that always got me from day one was you know, obviously the game is fun to watch, but the storytelling around the game, the rivalries, the the uh, the history. All of those things locked me in. I remember going to a Laker game and for preseason of the 90-91 season, and the NBA used to give this pamphlet out, um, or at least they did for this year, and it had every MVP, every NBA champion, and a bunch of other stuff in it, and I memorized all of it. It was just like storytelling that was just like I was locked into that, and I think that's kind of what brand, the brand thing is all about. Um, and I think the brands that work are the ones that are authentic and not forced. Um, one of the things I love to do with players when I first m- meet them, um, you know, I obviously let them know ahead of time. I don't show up like TMZ, but I have a, I bring a, ca- you know, I have a DSLR camera. I'm not a professional cameraman. I'm not even really a hobbyist when it comes to photography, but I just know it's good to be able to record um, certain things with players as you go through. So I bring a camera with me. And, you know, I record them working out for the first time to get a feel of how they look on the court, 
Um, and that's something that we could always use in future uh, marketing stuff or be able to send to teams for the draft and all that stuff. But then I also sit down and interview them, ask them questions, right? Like, um, and get to know them because their story is, that is their brand. Damian Lillard, you know, I, I the, honestly, this is one of my favorite things ever with him was uh, learning about his story because he didn't, he was like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm going to make the NBA, but he wasn't thinking about all this branding stuff out the gate. Um, you know, we're telling him, oh, you can have a signature shoe. You can do all these things. All you have to do is take care of business on, on the court. But the first part of it was learning his story. And I don't think he realized how interested people would be in his story from the, from out the gate. Um, you know, you have this unknown prospect that goes to, uh, that, you know, isn't heavily recruited, is a late developer in high school, goes to this, uh, you know, mid-major school in Ogden, Utah, develops an anonymity so he can be a regular college student. Um, and people are curious because they're saying he's going to be a lottery pick. So we start telling the story. And the first thing he tells me, you know, I always ask players is, uh, what, how did you start playing basketball? When did you start playing basketball? How did you fall in love with the game? Whatever. And he starts telling me this story about a tree and, uh, you know, shoot first shooting on a you know, tree that had like a branch that was shaped like a hoop. Um, and, and then the tree gets cut down and he's so disappointed and his grandfather gets a milk crate and cuts out the bottom of the milk crate and po- uh, stamps it to a pole outside of his grandpa, his grandparents house. And he starts shooting outside and that's how he learned how to shoot. And I was like, you realize that's amazing. That's like, that, <laughs> that is an amazing story. That's the fact that we're going to tell that story a million times. And we have, it's been 10 years and we've, it's been a part of his story. And there's so many people that can connect to that. Um, and there's a hundred different things like that, but that's really what a brand is. A brand is telling your story. And that's what makes fans connect with you. Understanding those stories, understanding those rivalries. Um, it's a part of what I think the NBA doesn't dig in enough to is storytelling around players and what got them interested in hoop, the, you know, the things that, that motivate them the drive, all of those things um, that I, I think that's what the general public is so interested in, in these players about. I, I feel like the league does storytelling. It's just, the, it's the, the very like, it's the soap operatic stories, not these, which, you know, you're, you're like what you're describing is is you know for lack of a better word authenticity and sort of the 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 cheap rivalry and the the all-star snub and stuff like that is, is it's it that that seems almost contrived in so many ways and it's you know and it seems like players will play along with it because they kind of figure out what 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 the interviewer wants to hear but that's not that's not I don't, maybe maybe this is me having watched you know for thirty plus years. That's not as interesting as anything you just said about Damian Lillard. And it, yeah, it's it, I think it's or like origin stories, family stories, things of that nature. And not everybody feels comfortable sharing those things, but the, the stuff that people want to share um, is what allows us. You know, we're we're always looking for those commonalities. We're also and we're also always looking for inspiration, right? Um, that's that's. Uh, I think what inspires people and inspiration, aspiration, all those uh, are what inspire people and motivate people to watch games and motivate people to follow along these different guys. There is, and there isn't a single player that the, you know, at this uh, people who are this level of elite, and it's, it's easy to forget 
because there are some players who are quote unquote bad NBA players. Just and, and you know this, having been on the court with people, just how much better bad NBA players are at basketball than anyone <laughs> than anyone you know is at anything in yeah. their life. Um, but so for someone to reach that le- like there's nobody who reaches that level who doesn't have something interesting about them, sort of aside from that skill. Like every single person has an interesting story. There's a story to be told. I have a fr- I have a friend that's you know it's random, but she's you know has like a cookie business that she's starting, and she's you know asking me questions about marketing and whatever, and I'm telling her you know, things I know about her that are like other people would be interested in. And she's, she's like, I don't think anyone would be interested. I'm like, I do this for a living. I'm telling you, this is your story. Like, you know, start pushing this out there like that. Um, and I think that's, that's key to marketing, the storytelling, the origin around someone, what motivates them, the foundation of them, those common out, those common threads that you can continue to pull on and connect with people with connect to people with so make help me make the connection between that that sort of that 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 story that that brand and then how that connects with the other side as someone who wants to to tap into i mean that's essentially what endorsements are right they want to tap into that as a way of of saying you know buy this thing (laughs) <laughs> and I yeah. like I don't I don't I don't claim to understand the psychology of marketing but I understand that it works cuz I have a lot of Nike's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um but how does that how does it go from that individual story to then um both in the general and if you have interesting like specific stories of, of be- how some of those things Because these there. these companies are trying to be they they want to have aspiration attached to them, right? So you're you're going to connect to the athlete telling a story, basically telling the story of the athlete and saying either this brand has been an authentic part of that um, journey for the athlete or our brand is similar to this journey or we're supporting all the athletes that have a similar journey, right? So that's, that's the value. You're, you're, you're almost getting like an aspiration halo from that particular athlete, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And the storytelling that goes into making that athlete aspirational is what the is is key to all of that so i have you know uh, tons of questions but uh before i ask for kind of an example of of you know maybe even just like the uh uh, one of the more interesting ones that i like i think you've been involved with is is the the is is lillard's uh hulu has live sports because that's that's a very meta ad ad campaign where it's it's sort of looking straight on into the sort of the, 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 whatever the ridiculousness of, of, of the whole thing. But before I get to that, is there ever, there has to be a sort of a fit between the, the product and the player, right? Is there, there's ever, there are there ones where they, someone offers a ton of money and they're just like, not for you. Yeah. I mean, what I, our whole firm always advises players, like if it doesn't make sense, and we tell the companies too, like, you know, if, if player isn't necessarily comfortable with it or um, doesn't want to do it, then you're going to have all sorts of trouble if they're just doing it for the money. Um, but sometimes, you know, it's almost like uh, Forrest Gump's mom told him when he was trying to, uh, when he, he had a racket endorsement deal come his way, he's like, you know, telling his mom, well, I don't use that racket. 
And she's like, sometimes, you know, the little white lie won't help hurt anyone. Um, sometimes the money is so substantial that you have to take it. But for the most part, there's been rare times that that's happened. I just, you know, especially with the money the guys make on the court now, it just isn't worth it. You're, you know, from the player side, from the brand side, from the agent side, it's, it's all, it just ends up being miserable. Right. It, it, I think everyone's done stuff just for the paycheck and that the heart wasn't in it. And that's, it's, those, those are some long days. Yeah. I th- and I think the money that's on the table right now for the players has really changed a lot of that. Um, and I also think that's, that's kind of what's changed. That's what's made a lot of the players go a little more inward. And even though you see players, I would say it this way. So even though players are on social media and it seems like they're more open than ever, I would say that a lot of that stuff is like very superficial and not very, um, uh, you know, open it's not really real storytelling it's like you know for the most part you see someone's like outfit and what they're wearing and like you know a lyric from a rap song and that's it and there's no real storytelling there it's just they're on social and you know you get tidbits of them but storytelling that's why that's why i respect you know i i know that there's a lot of negativity especially with players around media um, and I think a lot of their negativity around media comes from actual um, like aggregation, rumors, things of that nature that don't really have to do with, you know, uh, real reporting, real storytelling, all of those things. But it's part of the reason I still respect media and don't think that think the idea of eliminating media from the NBA are just it's ridiculous. Like, the fact that people think really think that because of social media, the, like reporters are not necessary anymore is, is absolutely insane. But reporters play a key role in telling those stories. Um, and and it just, it, in my observation, like player players respect that. I mean, I, I observe, uh, when I do, when I was still with the box, um, Eric name, the, the, beat writer for, for the box at the athletic and a good friend of mine. Now um, he, I, I saw this happen over and over the first talk to a player. He played, he played small college basketball. So he, he, he kind of knows what he's about. And, and he, uh, so the first time he, he starts to ask like a, a real basketball question, you see guys kind of click out of the, you know, I'm just, uh, almost the I'm just here so I don't get fined responses yep. and start to have a real conversation. And it's just, it's, it, it was, it's amazing. Like it seemed like every guy, the first time he had a conversation with, it'd be like, Oh, hi, who are you? And then they would, then they would, would talk like people um, and, and just saw that over and over again. Yeah. I think, I think part of it is, you know, so you're, if you're a pro and you're putting all these hours into, um, uh, playing ball, preparing yourself, all these things, and you're someone is there that is given the authority and a platform on a media platform and everything else, and they asking you questions, and you're hearing the questions, and you're like, this person, what does this have to do with the game? This person doesn't get it, they're whatever, but I have to answer and I have to be respectful because if I'm not, I'm going to be painted as the bad person or whatever else. You know, lit, when you hear those things, if they're off at all. Do you really blame 
the player for kind of just giving robotic answers in that instance. They're they're looking at it like just, why just tell me the person? quote you need for your story, and we can exactly. both get out of here. And why why aren't you why why aren't you prepared? You know, imagine if I came on the court, you know, as a player and went out there and wasn't prepared to know the plays and know whatever. You guys would would kill me. But then we have you know an instance of where someone doesn't really know the game or prepared to ask a serious question and they shut down like that. But yeah, the storytelling aspect, I think when it, when there's someone that asks them things uh, that make sense or they know something about them where they did some research and they ask them a question that no one else asked them, they definitely open up and light up um, and it's important to them. So let's, 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 because I think it's an interesting one. Let's, can, can you, what can you tell me about like kind of from, concept to execution from pitch to concept to execution of the of the hulu thing with with dame yeah so i'll tell you about the the uh the most recent one the one we did last season um we we haven't had a spot this and it kind of worked out because he's not um he's obviously not playing right now um but due to uh conflicts with the schedule and things of the nature we didn't film a hulu commercial this year uh but we'll have one for next season and um you know, the, the last one we, we filmed, we actually filmed it before COVID and it, it got scrapped and didn't get released because of, you know, sports stopping and everything else like that. So they held it in the can until, uh, you know, end of 2020, beginning of 2021 when um, the season started. And if you haven't seen the commercial, you know, the, the basic premise of Hulu sellouts is that they they're they're paying players to um uh, you know, promote Hulu and, and do ridiculous things. And they're, you know, um, it's basically like they're willing to do these ridiculous things because Hulu has paid them. And with Dame, um, one of the fun things about uh, him wanting to get into music was, you know, like it's not what he does full time. He respects everything that, that uh, you know, people in the music industry do and the amount of time they, they put into it. It's almost like, uh, you know, someone that wants to become a professional basketball player from music and just assuming they're going to be like the best player or any of those things out the gate. He understands like the amount of time, effort, energy that goes into it. Um, but, you know, given that he's doing the music thing, all the brands want to be a part of that. Like it's something that he's known for. The Dame Dalla name rap persona has become like something that is, you know, utilized during games and fans know and all that stuff. So Hulu, because we've poured into the music stuff, wanted to tap into that. And the idea was, okay, well, Damian Lillard raps. Can we get him to rap about Hulu? And like that led to the whole commercial happening. But the behind the scenes part is that our own, and this is the middleman stuff again, basically our own internal team produced, you know, wrote and performed all of that. Um, they came to us with an idea about doing things around music and, um, you know, because of all the different individuals that we worked with and within music, we had a producer in mind to actually take, actually originally when they came to us, they wanted to use, I don't know if you know the bumper jingle that's at the end of all the Hulu stuff, but they wanted him to rap over that beat. And we were like, no, that's not going to, like, people are going to, people are not going to, it's too like, far, too far, it's too far. So we we're like, yeah, but you can take that sample, give it to a real producer and they'll make a beat that actually like, you know, people vibe with. So we got one, you know, one of these you know top producers in hip hop to work on it. And then the team together wrote everything 
and Dame per- performed it. So it was, it was almost like Dame's internal music team is what created, you know, uh, a song for this commercial that ends up winning a Clio and helps, you know, Hulu's brand and everything like that get out there a lot more. And it all goes because we were doing the music thing the right way and digging into it the right way that a brand like Hulu respected enough to um, utilize Dame in that way. Is is doing something that's that's a little bit? I mean, that is it is a little bit of a parody. Is is that a, is that a tough sell, or is, or are some guys just with that right away? Oh, he 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 got it because they they were they had the idea to do it with other artists, so it wasn't like it just was. He was already the athlete aspect of it. So really, really originally, what they were going to do was have Damien do it and then have it have remixes with all these other hip hop artists. So it has been like Damien lead it, led it and then other artists were going to come in. They ended up not doing that. I think because the commercial just took off in a way that they didn't expect. Um, but that was the idea. So for him, it really was like, okay, well, if all these other artists are doing it too, then I'm not really, um, not really looking at it as like a negative. Sure. So that's that's that. I mean, obviously, he's at the he's near the top of kind of the uh, in, endorsement pyramid. Um, you you work with some younger guys too, and so mm-hmm. so what is that? What does that kind of scene look like for for? And if you want to like talk about some of the be specific or general, if you want to talk about that, I think it's just it, I just think it's I'll, I'll take Matisse Thibel for instance, right? Like you know, I've known Matisse since he was super young because he's uh, one of the Goodwin brothers is actually his godson. Um, and before we knew he was going to be a basketball player, I knew him um, before we knew he was going to be a pro. I knew him. And there was a stage where it was like, he started to get really good at basketball and we were telling him you can be an NBA player. And he didn't believe it. Like Matisse is not someone that was on the circuit, like dreaming of being, you know, or I want to say necessarily not dreaming, but just, the NBA was, he loves basketball, but it wasn't like, I have to be an NBA player or my life is going to be over kind of thing. Um, and then it started to become like, damn, this can actually become a reality for me. And he got more and more serious into it. Um, but Matisse has this, um, he has this, this personality that people automatically gravitate towards because he's just a genuine dude. He has not been, um, he hasn't been jaded. And I think you, fans and especially in, you look at a place like Philadelphia where fans can be pretty rough, you know, tough, brutal, all that stuff. And they've completely embraced him there. They, they love him um, partially because he has a defensive first mentality. And I think a city like that is going to look going to love it, but then also he's just a genuine dude. So that's opened up a lot of opportunities for him that I think usually players of his uh, age and like um, role on a team don't typically get. Sure. Um, does it? Does, how often does it work the other way, where where players like, hey, this is the kind of thing I'm I'm into. What's out there? Oh, that happens all the time. I mean, I I mean, I have an idea right now where one of our players actually uses Airbnb, like r- completely uses Airbnb, like has the app, has a profile, like you know, top NBA player and. Um, I'm like, that's a story to tell because, you know, they're, they're probably, they're doing endorsement deals probably with people that don't, you know, celebrities that don't actually use Airbnb. Um, or if they do, someone else is booking it for them. This person books all of their stuff 
on their own, on their app, has an app history, all of that. So that's you try to find these organic um, things that players utilize and and go into it that way. That's that is always the foundation of it. Finding out their interests, things that they want to go after, things that they do, and then um, finding an endorsement partner to, to to partner with in that category. So a, a new thing that, that that's obviously you know just come on the scene in the last couple of years is is the the image rights uh, that 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 college players have, mm-hmm. asked, have have access to now, and you know I'll lead off by saying that and I'm, I I would be shocked if you didn't agree with me that it's about damn time, um, but how how does how does that system work and how does it not just become Almost, we're seeing this almost in football a little bit, where it's becoming a little bit of a slush fund, almost oh, attached yeah. to, to, to programs. Oh, one hundred percent. And I don't, I don't have an issue with that either. I think that you have to look at it and um, put yourself in the shoes of the the various parties that are involved with it, right? So, um, if I'm a legitimate brand and trying to sign someone to act, you know, to activate, um, I think that market right now hasn't really. Um, sort itself out. Uh, you know, I think that the values that brands are paying is all over the place. The first, you know, uh, I've started, you know, over the last year plus, I started a, a, I created a startup brand, um, called move insoles. Um, they were doing athletic performance insoles and it's in partnership with, uh, several NBA players, you know, top of the list, uh, Dame, CP3 and Jamal Crawford. And um, what we're doing now is we're working on NIL deals and doing NIL level grassroots deals from high school to college. And everyone, I mean, like every day, our Instagram, Twitter DMs are hit by college and high school athletes that are asking if we're doing NIL deals. And I'll go and I'll look at their profile and like, you have 500 followers and you're looking to get it. You're looking to get an NIL deal. Like that's the level that we're at now. And I don't know if, brands have really figured out what the return on investment is going to be for it yet. Um, so that, I think that's pretty interesting. I think the aspect that you bring out, obviously like boosters, you know, the local boosters that have a car dealership or a cleaners or, or, a, you know, a local bank or whatever that just want, they're used to just, instead of a FedEx envelope going <laughs> with full of cash going to the players, they're, you, they're, they're putting all the money into an NIL deal and giving the deals to the players. Um, and you know, again, I don't have a problem with that either. As long as it's, you know, within the rules, why you can't really knock the players for, for collecting the money, but I'm really interested to see how for the legit deals, how they, how the brands are actually able to activate these players. Cause you got to remember there's a skill to um, talent knowing how to, for talent actually uh, being prepared to be activated or knowing how to activate themselves. So if you're just saying, oh, I'm signing this high school athlete that's never been on a commercial set before, um, doesn't really understand the business aspect of it, doesn't really have a professional team around them. And I'm expecting them to be able to do all these things, you know, do press, do, uh, you know, social media posts that make sense for our brand, um, act well on commercial shoots, all those things. Um, I'm not sure if, if I think there's very few people in, in the NIL space that are prepared to do that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think it's almost like the NFT space where 
It's like, oh yeah, this brand is signing blah, blah, blah. And they made half a million dollars for doing it. And it's like, okay, so what is the return on investment for the brand for putting a half a million dollars into this particular athlete? Um, Depends on how much we talk about it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I, I think that after the NIL deals become not that big of a deal, people won't really talk about it like that. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all balances out. I, you know, for my brand, it makes sense, a lot of sense, because we're doing, um, we're, we're focused on the grassroots athlete. Um, so going after athletes that are um, either currently still on the grassroots level, high school or AAU level, or they just recently came out of it, um, makes a lot of sense. But I think for some of these other brands, I, you know, if it's some random high school player that people don't know, I think it's going to be hard for them to um, to get traction with that. But I think it's interesting that players are actually able to capitalize on it as they should be. One thing you mentioned there is like the lack of a professional team around them. And that's the, the part of the space that I, that I think is, is really interesting is in some ways um, they almost can't. I mean, you know, it's yep. just, just from a, you know, the, the, the NCA is still sort of uh, floating around here and, who knows if you got like one extra sandwich too many and now you're ineligible to play. So yeah. And they're allowed to have NIL representation, which is, I mean, you, I, I'll, it'll be interesting to track the NIL representation yeah. thing. You know, they basically, it's like you're allowed to sign with an agent for NIL representation. But if that person is representing or that agency is representing you in NIL representation, you pretty much, I'm assuming Right. You're, that person is going to end up signing with the agency for professional representation as well when they go pro. Um, so I think a lot of those rules are kind of, um, there's really a lot of gray area there and there, and a lot of that traditional, um, those traditional boundaries are kind of going out the window. You're seeing relationships that probably were underground before are now coming into the light earlier and they're being stamped in IL representation. That's probably a good thing to get get these kind of things in writing. Oh, it's all of it. I think all it, you take take all the the behind the scenes uh, stuff and put it out there and let players get paid. I, I don't think there's any issue with it whatsoever. So we we'll finish up by talking a little bit. I mean, it's it, trade deadlines tomorrow, so. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of today was when you were available, so it's kind of yeah. a, it's kind of an odd odd timing, but I'll I'll take whatever I can get. But yeah. let's I, I don't want to talk about like specific trades, um, though. I mean, I'm we could we could go for another hour yeah. breaking down the trades that that happened. But I'm I'm still more interested in the experience of a player, both like this time of year and around the draft, around free agency, around the trades, around the draft and free agency. Like, what's what. I, I forget who I was talking to. I was talking to someone the other day, and I was, I, I was thinking I didn't, I don't really know if I would want to know if I was in trade talks or if I wanted to just be. Oh, I got traded. Which would be, which would be net better? So I think I think you would if you were if it was close to happening, you would want to know to prepare yourself, to prepare your family, all of those things. And I understand that like sometimes GMs are work. You know, everything gets leaked. We're in this information age. Um, you know, reporters are information brokers in a lot of ways. So there's everyone's exchanging information and and putting it on Twitter or social media and stuff like that. So it's hard to keep things under wraps. So I understand why some GMs are super secretive and won't tell players things. Um, you know, I, I had a situation 
uh, where you know our agency had a situation where a player had been told um, over and over and over again that they weren't being traded, even though everyone around the league was talking about it, like people in the know were talking about it. To ask the ask the GM over and over again, they would deny it, and then the trade happened, and the GM calls the player, and the player is upset, like you've been basically telling me this wasn't going to happen for the past two weeks, right? Like there's instances like that, and then there's instances where the they are a little bit more forward. It's just a, really a matter of the style and preference of of that particular executive. I mean, I think we saw that a little bit with with Tyrese Halliburton yesterday, and I apologize. I don't know if I don't know if, if good. No, I don't. I don't. Not, I do not, I, <laughs> if if it was, I'd be like, yeah, got to tap out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, we 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 just we saw that a little bit yesterday with his like he was he was shocked yeah. that he had been traded, and that I mean that I I, mean, I, I he's not the only one who's shocked that yeah. he was traded, but but that's uh, you know, but that's. Um, I just wonder if that's worse than having it uh, will there, won't there, they for a month leading up to it. And yeah, I mean, a, a month, a month out, that's kind of crazy. But I think when you're when you're dialing in on a deal that like, yeah, you, you might want to let the player know. But the, the hard thing is, if you think that, you know, when you're negotiating back and forth and there is no sure thing, the worst thing you can do is tell the player you're about to trade them. Or there's a chance that you get traded and then it doesn't happen. You got to go through that. But um, I think that's a part of the business. You're, you're dealing with people. Um, people think that you have a. Um, if you have a reputation as being truthful, honest, forthcoming, uh, treating people a certain way, and when I say treating people a certain way, I don't just mean players, but all it, all of your staff, everything. Players pay attention to. They see everything. How people everything everything so if they see you treat or handle one situation one way they're going to be skeptical of you like going forward for everything so i really think it's just a matter of how that person carries themselves their reputation within an organization reputation outside of an organization all of that goes into um the player's trust or mistrust of it in in your experience are there execs who are able to like kind of navigate this better in terms of there's, there's all kinds of situations with players where, okay, well, our interest is to do this and your interest to do that. And we may differ, but we can be professional about this or we can be unprofessional about this. And it, 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 there has to be in your experience execs that are kind of better or worse at managing that and keeping it, even if it's again, stuff that the player doesn't necessarily love, they can at least, understand yeah, it, and move past it. The, the honestly since since I've been involved in the league, you know, even though I'm not dealing with player transit, Aaron is the front of the business in terms of uh MBPA uh representation and dealing with all of the NBA transactions. We all talk together as a group about what's going on. I know what's going on on a daily basis. Um so I I hear everything that's happening and um you know have to deal with teams on a number of different things uh but really we haven't had that many guys be involved in trades um you know for the most part we're dealing with superstar level guys awesome multi you know um uh multi 
time all-star level guys has been a lot of the focus of my career. Um, we're a small agency, boutique agency. So we, you know, a lot of times we have, you know, 10 players, eight players has been, you know, it's always a dozen or less. It's never been anything more substantial than that. Um, and not a lot of them have been on, at least on the level, that all-star level, they haven't really been traded and moved around like that in the times that I've um, worked with them. You know, I only have one, everybody knows the one instance of DeRozan being traded where it, he wasn't expecting it at all and whatever else. Um, but outside of that, I really haven't had to deal with it. I bet you if I, I bet you Aaron has a million stories because he's been doing it for 30 years. But in the time that I've been there, um, I haven't really dealt dealt with that. Now, what I have heard is, you know, stuff from other players and, you know, other situations because I'm friends with players around the league um, and people that work around the league that aren't necessarily, um, you know, in our, in our um, organization or clients of ours. Um, but, you know, I, I think it just varies. It, it varies on personality. Everybody has a different style of doing business of, of building their organization, all of that. So there is no one size fits all. And they have, a lot of times they have valid reasons for operating the way that they do. Sure. No, I, I, I mean, that almost gets back to where we started with, with talking about like the, the doing it in a way that is, that is, even if you don't like it, you can. You oh yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you, you know, I obviously like me personally, I haven't, dealt with uh nico as an as an nba exec but i've dealt with nico in a lot of other like business aspects the thing that i respect about him you know going back to our original conversation about someone that's done a lot of different things i love his style at least his nike style his nike the way he conducted business at nike was he's the most he's one of the most straightforward people i've ever done dealt with in business like there's no there's no cat and mouse there's no hiding like he's going to tell you exactly how he feels and why he's operating that way and what they can and can't do. And that just like, I love that, right? (laughs) Because you know, what's going on, you know, what they are willing to do and what they aren't willing to do and the reasons why. Um, And you you leave it at that. I can always respect someone like that versus someone that's kind of like hiding their cards from you. It's really hard to kind of deal with that. That's, I mean, that's certainly I mean, on the, the exec side that matches my experience. You could, you could, I don't want to say it's one-to-one, but in those kind of conversations, like the good orgs, uh, don't waste your time and the bad orgs do. And just yep. when, when you're having, just when you're just having the conversations, would you do this for that? Nah, or well, no, let's, let's, you know, that's not quite it, but we'll talk about it more. Whereas kind of the, the, the worst organizations almost act like if they they catch you misspeaking, like you accidentally say, "Yeah, and a first. I mean, a second. No, you said first, first. Yeah. Call the league. It's you. You touch the piece for playing chess. You got to move it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's it like like and, and you almost get that sense from them. And it just it's again it it breaks down the teams that get good and stay good do so for a reason. Yeah, and that's, I, I, and that's I, a part I, of it. I, I I agree 100%. That's again, that's why I was again, I might be biased because I um have known Nico for a long time. It's not like I've done a million things with him or, you know, I'm the like he's one of my best friends or anything like that, but I think I know him well enough to um and have experienced enough to to be able to state those things. Um and that's the reason I was 
so supportive and excited about him getting the job with the Mavericks. It's just, you know, my experience says this is someone that's going to be successful in whatever he does in the basketball space. In the basketball business space, this guy knows what he's doing. So let me, before I let you get out of here, we have to talk actual basketball just for a little bit. Yeah, of course. I feel like, I feel like it's a, so, um, it's just, let's start, let's start at the end first. Who, who is your pick to win the title right now and why? Uh, if no, I had to sorry, let me spring, let, let me just spring this on you without uh, any prep at all. So, yeah, no, if I, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I've, you know, you know how much I love the game. So yeah. I have my picks. I think the first thing that people have to always realize is that there's a lot of luck involved with who wins the title every year. Right. So, right. Like I, I like the, the Suns to make the playoff, excuse me, make the finals again. And I think they have a really good chance matchup dependent on winning the whole thing. I love their team. Uh, I think that they're, they can play a variety of different ways. I think they have one of the best uh, game managers, of not just today, but of all time with Chris Paul. Um, they've got a great coaching staff and strategy. Um, they're built for playoff basketball. They have, you know, if you compare their set of wings to most, does any team in the league have a better crop of wings than they have? I mean, I, you know, maybe the Clippers when they're fully healthy. But they're in a position to where they can play uh, a variety of different ways and, and make it work. I'm still skeptical of how they handle Giannis if they end up playing the Bucks in the finals. Um, but I, I think that they 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 are very much um, um, my pick for the favorites. But then again, who knows what the Warriors are going to look like when Draymond Green comes back? Because they're a completely different team when he's on the floor and how he's going to help Clay Thompson get better and helps Clay, excuse me, help Steph Curry get easier shots and elevate their defense to get easier shots in transition and all kinds of things like that. And those dudes know how to play under pressure at playoff time. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with them. And you got Memphis that is like, they're in, I think they're in the most fun position as a team where you're, you're good before you're supposed to be good. So you have this, I almost like, I don't give a fuck swagger and I can beat anybody and we're not scared of anybody kind of mentality. Um, they, they almost don't know what they're playing with right now, right? Um, so they'll, they're kind of like the wild card in the West to me. Um, and then out East, you know, any team with Kevin Durant, if he's healthy, uh, they have a chance. We saw that last year in the playoffs where they almost knocked out the Bucks in, in one big seven. toe. Yeah, but, you know, you can always go through and do right. that with all, all kinds of stuff, right? <laughs> right. Um, but, again, if Harden's hamstring doesn't, uh, you know, fall apart, if Kyrie doesn't twist his ankle, maybe that whole series is is different. But that's a part of it. That's what I mean. Yep. Like, luck is a big part of this every year, right? Uh, something could – if Giannis wasn't able to bounce – Giannis looked like he was going to be out for the rest of the playoffs – and all of a sudden, you know, Superman, he's like, I guess him and Braun are like the two guys that can come back from injuries like that with without uh, much time for recovery. Um, but if he wasn't able to bounce back, that would have ended their entire run. You know, there's an argument that Trey Young getting hurt um, when he did in the series prevented them from having a real chance against the Bucks. But I don't think they would have been to beat the Bucks either way. Um so yeah, I could see I could see the Nets, I could see the Bucks. The Bucks I think right now are the are the favorite um out east. I really and it's interesting. I'm not just saying this cuz DeMar's on the team. I really loved how the Bulls were playing before Caruso and um 
and Lonzo Ball went down. I think that they can score with anybody, but when they have those two on the floor, the versatility that they can play with uh, defensively opens up a lot for them. Um, that's that. It's kind of a bummer that that happened. You know that you, if you you take pretty much, I would say probably their three best defensive players, three four best defensive players. When you got uh, uh, Patrick Williams, uh, uh, Derek Jones. Caruso and uh, Lonzo all out right now. It's kind of you're seeing their weakness kind of come to the table, but I'm interested to see what happens if they're able to actually get healthy and come into the playoffs and get some momentum before the playoffs go, get going. But um, I, and then obviously at Philadelphia, and we don't know what's going to happen at the trade deadline. Um, if anything is going to go down, if they're going to be able to get anything for Ben Simmons before the trade deadline, if, you know, if it's a Harden or whoever it is that's going to actually be able to help them. Joel's playing out of his mind. I'm not sure if without, um, you know, making a move to get an additional like star player, if they have enough to win this year. Um, If I, if you had a gun to my head, I would say Milwaukee, my uh, coming out of the East, my team from the, uh, you know, wild card team out, out of the East, I'd probably pick the bulls if they're able to get fully healthy. Um, and then out, you know, like I said, out west, Phoenix, gun to my head, I'm picking Phoenix. And to win the whole thing, again, uh, man, that Phoenix versus Milwaukee would be a hell of a series to see if, you know, there's that growth. And it's almost like I feel like, uh, you know, it was a little too early for the Suns, some of the Suns players last year. And then Chris had, you know, multiple injuries throughout the playoffs that kind of threw them off a little bit. And concluding with the hand in the in the finals um but if they can they can be as healthy as possible if they've learned any lessons to make them better or maybe there isn't are no lessons to be learned when you're dealing with Giannis who's basically like modern day Shaq um but I would love to see a finals rematch yeah no it's 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 almost boring so I don't disagree with you I've I've been I've been thinking I think it's uh it's Suns Bucks round two and I kind I would shade the Suns this time because because of exactly what you just said. Um, I think that that it was a learning experience last year, particularly for Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges. Uh, you know, Mikael Bridges might be my favorite player in the NBA right now, and he's oh, he's amazing. He's you know taken like you know as as good defensively as Matisse Thybul is. He might not be quite that, but he's most of that. And then he is a great shooter and a growing off the ball, like on, on the ball player as well. And, and the, but those two in particular, you know, they, I think they both kind of ran into their lack of experience at the top level in the finals last year. And, and I think that, you know, you learn things. I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, there's things like, um, I guarantee book will be aware of drew holiday coming from the weak side uh to swipe and steal a ball from him he's gonna know he's going to know that drew's gonna drop down and try to do that when he's not playing on him every single time right like there will be an awareness of where drew holiday is coming from from now on whenever he plays him in in a playoff series um whereas i think you know especially when you're dealing with a player that good defensively a lot of that stuff just catches you off guard um So I think just learning from that, uh, and and they're playing with Chris Paul, so you know he's hammering, he's going right. down every single um, every single thing that they made uh, mistakes on for last year. They're going to know about it. They're going to be prepared for it. Chris is 
is a preparation king. Loves, loves watching basketball. I'm interested. I got a question for you. So how many play, you know, obviously I don't have to name names. There obviously were players on your, each of these teams that love the game and watch the games. And there were players that did not do that. Like when you were with the Bucks, did you experience that at all? Was that a part of, of, um, or was that eye opening? I was, you, I, guess? I was, I think that I was just in, in general terms, I was very lucky in that the, the players who passed through Milwaukee while I was there were, I don't think there was a single like knucklehead in the group. Yep. And so they were, I mean, there, there's a few that I can think of that were, I don't want to say less serious, but not like, you know, chewing on glass. But for the most part, I mean, you know, everything people say about like Giannis's kind of, you know, the, like they, they, they tell stories about having to do like lockout days. It, it yeah. does, doesn't matter. He's, he would sneak in as, as much as a, you know, <laughs> a six eleven two hundred 200, whatever kind of guy can sneak in. He would like, and he'd be in there. Like, you know, I think that's kind of gone away a little bit. I think he kind of, as he, you know, his mid- he's realizing it's a marathon. But yeah, and and he kind of started to develop some of the chronic knee stuff. And yep. he's like, okay, I can't. I actually do need to take days off. Yeah, he he, but, he gets it. I mean, and and but the the underlying thing there is that he loves it. He's yeah. driven. and He wants to do that. I think like I was just listening to Chris's uh, interview uh, with JJ Redick, and he's it, it was almost like he was subtweeting subtweeting but subliminal messages to some players where he's like you know i watch you know we get paid a lot of money to be prepared he's like i watch every game you know i've got multiple screens going on every single night like i love this this is this is what i do and i know you know a lot of the the top level players that i've worked with and continue to work with they're the same way they watch everything they see everything that happens they know what's going on um, LeBron, I always uh, love to tell this story. Is uh, Dame played? Uh, he played the uh, what is it? The Heat his rookie year, and you know we're texting after the game, and he goes, "Man, LeBron knew all our plays," and he was just like amazed. And I think that was like you know he knew the work that you needed to put in as an individual player, but like diving in on how much you have to be prepared in terms of watching games, understanding what every team is going doing, like the film work, all of that stuff. And the, the guys that are the best at this, this is what they do. It's it, And it's driven at the end of the day, it's driven by love, right? Like if you don't have that after you've made $150 million or whatever guys make once they're a max player, what incentive do you have to go the extra mile like that? Right. Um, it has to, the foundation of it has to be love. Um, and just your your description there, the player that I I can't help but think of is Brook Lopez. Yeah, like a guy who made all the money and was like an offensive and a big part of he. I mean, had I a vote and I I didn't in yeah. uh, in uh, the the I guess what oh man 1920 was the season that ended in the bubble. Yep. Had I a vote, he would have gotten my defensive player of the year vote that year. Yep. And as a guy who you're you're talking about like the studying of of both the other team sets and actions, but also like for him, the way he was playing defense, like a, a very detailed study, not just of like what the defensive three second rule is, but yep. how it's actually called. So he knew exactly how much he could cheat. 
Yep. And, you know, and if you're, you know, 7'1", 280 pounds, and you can spend an extra half second in the lane every possession because of that, that's kind of a big deal. So, but, you know, going, like, turning himself into one of the most impactful defensive players in the league. Especially when he wasn't considered, you know, you go back to the Nets days, he was not considered that that at all. So this, you know how there's just, we, we go crazy on Twitter anytime there's a stray vote for someone yeah. like silly in any of these awards. He had never in his career received an all-defense vote. Not a single, like, misclick or homer vote from a, from a and, and then he gets to Milwaukee and is one of the, and, and you know, part of B is, is his improvement, part of it is scheme and all that. Yep. But, like, it, then, then he becomes like an all-defense level player almost instantly, and it's... And it's due to, you know, he did some physical work to get himself a little bit more mobile. And he did the, the, the mental work that you're talking about of, of being able to He's revamped it. his game several yeah. times. He's gone from, he came into the league as a, as a low post talent. And then, you know, he had the foot issues and started to work on the perimeter game. And now, and then all of a sudden he's a three-point threat. And he goes from just being a three-point threat to being, you know, one of the better defensive bigs in the league like that. That all takes work, and that that type of work, energy, effort, the studying that you're talking about, he loves the game, and it's, which is funny because usually when people think of the Lopez twins, the last thing they think about is basketball. They think about all the silly stuff that they're into and everything like that, but a guy like Brooke does not last and reinvent himself several times without having that that foundation uh, of love of the game. Can, can I soapbox for a minute? on that it's my show yep. so of course I can't. but yep. no I, I think that's this is something that comes up in kind of draft prep every year both like public and 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 with teams is um almost a, a guy who has interests oh we we Just, i can i, I yeah. can go i can go into that because i've worked with a player that got labeled yeah negatively because of that yeah, I mean the, the the two that I can think of like right right now that that kind of that was out there about are are Jalen Brown and Jared Allen. Yep, like J, J, Jalen. Uh, we talk about it all the time. You know, Jalen's a guy that I've, I've worked with throughout his career, and and uh, he's uh, he. We, we've always talked about how people think because he had other interests, they were looking at it like he didn't love the game. But what they don't understand is that everything that he's interested in he goes hard for right like it's not just and it's and he's kind of a renaissance man where he has a lot of different interests but he's been playing basketball his, his entire life and it, and been successful at every level of basketball he's been at i know you could say that for a lot of different nba players but you know he's one of the top players in his class if not the top player in his class he ends up becoming the number three pick he gets the celtics and Instead, people kind of peg him in, you know, like this is what he's going to be. And you don't go from being a guy that has no handle when you come in the league and a shaky jump shot to being someone that is has the skill level that he has now. And that the foundation of that is someone that is highly motivated to become great. Um, and I think maybe, and maybe it's because some of these play, maybe it's because some of the people in the front offices have been so singularly focused. And, and a lot of times that's what it takes in order to, you know, um, move up the ranks in the, in the NBA front office side, um, that they're probably looking at it like, oh, this guy that has time to do this and do this and do this. There's no way that they can be great as a, be the, one of the best of the best at anything because they're doing too many things. And that's, maybe and that's, that's, a, the, maybe yeah. that's the failing on their part. 
And that's unfortunate because I think we know, I mean, there's been like, okay, for every, uh, one of my favorite books I've read is uh, Range by David Epstein. And he, he opens the book talking about, you know, contrasting, there's the Tiger Woods story of, of, you know, focused on becoming the greatest golfer in the world since he was three. Yep. For every Tiger, if you're looking at like great athletes, how many Roger Federer's are there? Yep. And as he put it, like, like Federer, like, you know, was played everything growing yep. up everything and that's and that you know which is which is also interesting that that has been um part of the reason that he started our 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 insole brand is because of the um piling up of injuries at the uh you know grassroots level you know a lot of of severe injuries in early age yeah monofocus and they're going through a pro level like every parent thinks their kid can get a division one scholarship. So all the kids are going and traveling and playing these games. Like they're on a pro level um, path, but they don't have the protection and they also don't have the knowledge of how to prepare their body to deal with those things. Um, So that's why you're starting to see all those, um, all those injuries, but it's, and it's also, like you said, the monofocus. So it's interesting that like, you know, I feel like my generation, like people that are born in the early to mid eighties was like the last of, uh, maybe even all the way down to like 1990. It's like the last of the kids that played every sport. Um, and then just, you know, they eventually fell into something, but they weren't focusing on, you know, I'm going to be the best, uh, basketball player at, at nine years old, you know, like that's just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't a thing then. Yeah, but it, it, but it, it's funny because we still say, oh, well, yeah, he's got great footwork because he played soccer. And yeah. Like, that's seen as a positive, but it's like, oh, he, he, he plays chess. So he knows how to study. There's never that, they never, that leap isn't made. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's it. It's one of those things. Really, again, again, trying to find out if someone actually loves the game itself, and then also what type of, you know, I think character is a big deal. You know, there there are certain people that are, um, there are certain people that are, uh, you know, driven at everything that they do, and those are the type of people that you want involved in your organization. Those are the type of players you want to invest in. And it's it like even the character thing that gets it's it's sort of it's often like who would you want your daughter to date versus like who is got, you know, for lack of a better term, the right the amount of right amount of grit. Like those are two very different things. Totally different like, things. And and the thing and they they can overlap, but they can, not the same they can thing. overlap at times. Like you like a Matisse, right? <laughs> like right. People, it's like I'm sure everyone, they see Matisse is just a nice young man, right? Like, but he's got a con- competitive fire in him, and you have to have that type of competitive fire in order to be playing, uh, you know, defense the way that he does. Like, there's a care and a competitive fire there that that's there. But sometimes people are just like, they're just junkyard dogs in all aspect of life. And there's probably a reason they're that way, likely because of what their upbringing is and things that they've had to overcome and whatever else. But what's wrong with that person? What's wrong with having that person? And again, competition is aspirational. Competitiveness is aspirational. Those people draw eyeballs. There is... 
I think Draymond conducts himself just fine on and off the court, but there's something about Draymond that draws people in his, his personality, the way he play, he's energy. Want, there's an, if anything, if Draymond is half-assing it, it's going to stand out like crazy because you're so used to that guy being turned all the way up in everything he does and everything he commits himself to 24 seven, right? Like he could be the la- he's probably the loudest person in the locker room every single time, but you deal with it because that, that guy is what greatness is about. Like, and, and inspires the teammates, inspires fans to tune in all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, and I, that's not to go into too much of a tangent, but I think that's a lot of what is missing with the quick clips, social media coverage of athletes and the sport in general. And I think, you know, the NBA is dove like head first into a lot of that stuff. Um, but you know, that's all about highlights and not about, um, it's hard to get into the like stuff that isn't necessarily like surface level. It's that something that, that this is me getting old, but something yep. that annoys me more and more is like the highlight. Oh, he had 32 and nine. Yeah. But she lost by 25. Like, yeah. Like, and, and, <laughs> and okay. Like I think Harden is a great player, but there's been times where he's so talented and so unstoppable, especially in his prime. There could be times where you're watching a game and it's just like, he doesn't feel locked in right now. He doesn't feel locked in right now. I'm not inspired watching this guy. And if you, and if you have a conversation with someone else, they'll, t- they'll, there are some people that'll be like, what are you talking about? He got 32 points. He did this. He's unstoppable or whatever. Fans don't connect with him for a reason. They don't connect with him for a reason. There is a reason they do not connect with him. How many times we're going to repeat that? But it's very obvious. And if you're in denial about that because of what the production he's able to create and whatever else, um, you're missing the point. I, and, I, and I'd say the proof of that is go like it's you, if you go watch and, and and like the first two months he was with the Nets last year. Yeah, watch watch that compared with even like the last couple of years in Houston, even before he kind of completely checked out. Yeah. Like he was productive and, you know, driving a team to a certain level, but just the, there's a certain, there's a certain dynamism that he, that he, like a bounce, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, energy is the wrong word, but, but there was just something going on there that was, um, I don't even want, know if I want to say joy, if that's the right word, but yeah, there's I know something Steve going Kerr on. likes to use the joy thing all the time. Yeah. I, always, I always say like, it's it's still competitiveness. It just comes out in a way that like some people's their energy is just on another level. Um, and I also I honestly think that's why Steph and, and um, Draymond are such good partners is because they both play with that sort of energy. Obviously, Draymond is on the, the gritty side of things, and Steph is you know he's the he's a long ball you know home run hitter that's able to shoot these incredible threes and nonstop motion and energy and super inspirational and aspirational and all that stuff. Um, but they, they, they work well together because they have that same sort of energy that, um, you know, magic Johnson is my favorite player of all time. And, you know, he was smiling up and down the court, but he was, he's a killer. And that killer instinct was fueling all of that and that energy and everything else. 
Um, I, I definitely think that's what people gravitate towards. And sometimes that's like, if you're only looking at the end result, um, in terms of like what's in a box score, um, you're missing a lot of what draws people to the game in the first place. Basically what you're telling, you're telling me is the Grizzlies should be on national TV every night. Oh, that's 100%. (laughs) The grit, the Grizzlies should be on national TV a lot. Ja Morant. And it's not just Ja Morant, but the guys that are on that team. And I don't know, maybe it's, it's the personality of Ja. It's the person I know a lot of people don't like, uh, What's my man's name from from Oregon? Uh, not Dylan, Dylan Brooks. Brooks. Not not my favorite player. No. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> do not like Dylan Brooks, but Dylan Brooks has that. He has it's there's and there's a lot of players on their team that have that. Desmond Bain has got a fucking chip on his shoulder, like, and people gravitate towards that. They do. They love competition and competitive teams and teams that play with energy and hype. And all of that. It's a big it's a big part of it. Yeah. No, it's 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 one of the obviously one of the, the favorite teams. And the bull that's what the Bulls had at the start of the year too. Oh yeah, it's it's because Caruso is one of those guys. Lonzo is one of those guys, his energy level isn't the same, but Caruso is one of those guys that's like he will he's gonna do whatever it takes to win. And it ignites everybody else, and then they can just play their roles, right? Like because you've got this Swiss Army knife type guy um, that's out there energizing everyone and making sure he fills in the gaps. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm super. I, like, like I said, they're they're my uh, they are uh, the team. I hope hope gets over to the experience. Yeah, yeah, hope over experience. But um, you know, we, we've I, seen I, this movie before with with the guys with without the, without a whole lot of experience. Kind of their 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 first or second trip to the playoffs. We, we've yeah. seen what happens, but but maybe but this you gotta time. See, yeah, yeah, and you got to see what's going to happen because <laughs> yeah. all types of injuries happen yeah. and things of that nature. But I like their team a lot when they're fully yeah. help, when they're everyone's together. Um, but it's it comes back to that energy thing, man, for sure. Wow. And, you, and shout out to Taylor Jenkins, who's doing a great job. Oh, man, I, it's yeah. doing an unbelievable job. What's the name of their GM? Uh, uh, Zach Kleiman. Zach Kleiman. So Zach Kleiman, started, it's a very interesting in the NBA how many GMs started out in the PR department. So this is, and, and it's, it's one of those, like, there's, there's sort of a, a background that kind of, hmm, it's sort of the someone who comes from the business side through yep. the owner yep. as a, has a, was a, used to be a lawyer as, and as someone who used to be a lawyer myself, um, yep. like on spec, I don't trust that background, but, yep. but, but it, like the proof is in the pudding and I've like, I've heard nothing bad about working for him. So it's yeah, like, he, probably, he knows the game, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, they don't play bad players. It's, it goes a long way. And they have it helps that they have like thirteen good players. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's most te- most teams and coaches don't have a choice. I mean, you look yeah. at the Raptors, and just on math alone, you're like, oh, how the hell are they going to be able to get through the season? Because you know they got six or seven guys that are you know really good guys, but then the rest of the roster is like undesirable, right? Like it's you, not. You know who they could use right now. Who is that? Gordon Drag. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but it's it's <laughs> yeah. interesting to see. Um, it's interesting to see how they uh, have operated, which is basically like we're gonna play. We're gonna have a seven man rotation, and nobody else is gonna play. <laughs> and these guys are gonna play forty minutes a night. 
but they're following the rule of if you, we're not playing anyone that can't play. Um, and the Grizzlies have the advantage of we're not going to play anyone that can't play, but all of our team can play. So that's part of what's made them so good so far. And, and, and the, the business of picking NBA players, pick, pick, drafting, trading for, signing players is not just talent evaluation. There's all, again, like all aspects of life, there's luck involved with it. Players get hurt. Um, you could have made the right call and it's just, it's not a chemistry mix. Guys get hurt. All kinds of things happen. And to see a situation where the Grizzlies are, you know, they're, they're batting a thousand, it looks like right now, um, is pretty unprecedented. Um, it's it's a pretty good run. It's, it's, you know, maybe not quite the, quite the, the Presty run where he got, you know, the Harden and Westbrook and yeah. Grant and Ibaka in three years, yeah. but it's kind of it's it's more guys that have without kind of any any uh, any backslide. It's always interesting when you see someone picking the. I think picking you obviously you could have made mistakes at the top of the draft. <laughs> you know, you've seen yeah. the gri- the previ- previous Grizzly regimes that were picking at that part of the draft, right? Making Team mistakes. Steve. Yeah, Hashim beat. I saw. I mean, I talked about it a little bit today on Twitter. I know we're running a little bit over, but you know, I'm not. I'm not in any rush at this time. I like like talking basketball anyway. But um, the uh, I talked about it a little bit today. But I, the transition from the old era of you know the Lakers have two. And you know, I know Lamar Odom was kind of a hybrid player, but really they had three bigs and they were killing teams inside to pace and space taking over. And like 2010 was the last year of the dominant bigs killing everybody. And then you had uh, all these teams that were scared of the Lakers trying to build and change their teams around based on that. I would, you know, the, the thunder, the thunder jumped out to me. Um, and I know no, a lot of people don't talk about this, but the Clippers jumped out to me too. Like they were really, they, they they were a good team that had two bigs. Um, and then the Lakers dove into it even more. You know, they, even though you saw the most successful team that Dwight Howard had played on was a, was a four out team, you know, four shooters around him, uh, with Stan Van Gundy in Orlando, they got Dwight and put Pat and kept Powell right next to him. Um, and you started to see all these teams struggle playing that way. And then Miami, because, because Miami switched it up, the, the Mavericks switched it up, the Spurs, 2014 Spurs took it to a whole nother fucking level. And then the Warriors trumped that. Um, and just to see like that, that sea change and how guys like the beat used to go (laughs) number two with the draft because everyone wanted to have that big, that everyone was, you know, they would, they would try to project what these players right. could possibly be as bigs. Um, and I feel like a lot of that has kind of gone away. Um, and now getting... like, like Udoka Azabuki goes in the late twenties and like, Oh, what are they thinking? Yeah. And, and well, they should have picked Desmond Bain, but that's, yep. that's, you know, um, but yeah, no, it's, and it, it, we're almost seeing, you wonder if a team like Cleveland is almost like, there we go. Bringing that's that the around. Shi- that's the shift, right? Like you're, you're having a but, shift in terms of, but it's different guy. Like it's, it's not like Jared Allen does not look like Andrew Bynum. 
he doesn't. But it's still a different approach to playing than I, I that's what I love about I'm glad you brought that up. I, I love about the Cavs is that they're they're playing a different way than a lot of other people are playing. But uh, the interesting thing about the pace and space thing though too is I think people put the I know I threw the Warriors in there. The Warriors play don't play high pick and roll spread basketball like that. They they're I, I love watching them play just because they're just they're, there's movement and things that most teams are either don't have the players to execute, aren't willing to try to execute, aren't willing to try to get their players to execute. Um, they're just fun to watch. But the the, the warrior, I mean, the Warriors. It, it's similar stuff in that it's it's sort of a, a two and three man game that like per, per, presents options that the defense can't guard all yep. of them without bringing extra players over. It's just that their best ball handler happens to be the screener, basically. Yep. So they they put the ball in his hands instead of have have a guard dribble around him. But it's very, I mean, it's similar kind of to, like the Nuggets, like with their you know all the stuff where they run those like spread DHOs and stuff like that. Yep. Is, it's it's the similar idea, just like, well, okay, regardless of what size he is, let's put the ball in the, our best ball handler's hand, our best decision maker's hands, and they'll and and do some stuff around it, and we'll figure it out and play basketball, and that's what the successful offensive teams do now. Yeah, one hundred percent. But yeah, it's it's. I'm wondering, you know, I'll, I'll wrap it up with the the calf stuff. I'm wondering if that is the transition, especially now that we're starting to see, you know. Joel is is you know MVP candidate. Jokic won MVP last year and is right there with Joel again. And you know Giannis, I know he's I guess he's in that random you know what position is he? But you know at the end of the day, he's to me he's like uh, this era Shaq. He's still a yeah he's still a center type to me. Um, when you have all those guys, you know, Anthony Davis obviously isn't able to stay on the floor consistently, but he's, when he is healthy, like he's that type of impact player. And, and, uh, you know, Cat is probably a, uh, a notch below, but you probably, you have all these bigs, the like guys that are playing the center position or, or, you know, featured like a center, um, that are making more impact than we've had in a long time. And then you have a team like Cleveland that's playing, two bigs at once and then a guy that would probably be a four, four, five as they're starting three. Is that a shift? Is that, is that shift starting to come or are we going to continue to see the game played uh, the way it has been played over the last decade? Or yeah, is, is it a shift or is it a team just like, okay, these guys are weird positions, but we'll put our good players on the floor and figure yep. out if it works or not. Yeah. They're, uh, they're almost like the, uh, you know, when everyone was going pace and space, and then you still had the uh, the grit the the grit and grind Grizzlies playing yeah. one, another way. Um, well, our, so. our our two of our three best players are 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 big kind of slow guys. Yep. We could try to play that way, or we could just make sure our two best players are on the floor, and then yep. like that worked pretty well. Um. Yep. Yeah. So sorry about I, I've kept you about half an hour longer than I promised. No, man. I, I it's, it's, that, it's just because when we start talking basketball, it's very easy for me to continue on with that. But um, really appreciate you having me on and uh, good luck with this uh, call in podcast venture. Um, I, uh, I hope uh, I wasn't too boring. of a. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I, 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 you know, this is I this is I love doing this because I, you know, I, I feel like I learned a lot. Uh, so that's, that's really 
what what I would like to do is is learn some things. So I'll let you get out of here. I'll let you uh, I'll let you, you you plug your startup one more time so people can can check it out if they're yeah we we have a startup in the uh, athletic performance insole space. Uh, you know called Move Insoles. Uh, Move is the name of the company. Um, you can you can find out about more about it at at Move Insoles on Twitter, um, at Move Insoles on Instagram. Um, and then on, uh, our web, at our website, move dot one. And the dot is, uh, you know, you have dot and then you spell out the one O N E. Um, and, uh, we have a lot of athletes involved with it. There's kind of a, there's kind of a, uh, secret in pro sports that the majority of the best players, um, from high level divi- division one, all the way up to pro sports wear insoles and orthotics swear by them, wish they knew more about taking care of their feet at an earlier age. Um, but there hasn't really been any companies to develop products and market those, uh, products to, uh, the, the youth, uh, recreational and amateur athletes that, um, you know, are inspired by all, all these aspirational athletes. So that's the general gist of it. We've uh, ha- we've launched in December and have had a lot of success to, out the gate. Appreciate everyone that's been uh, supporting us out of the gate. I'm looking forward to uh, uh, becoming the Dr. Scholes of the of the younger generation. Obviously, with the athletic and performance lens over it, but um, that's what we're trying to do. Well, cool. So th- thanks, thanks so much for coming on. We'll we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, um, and, and and maybe maybe talk just basketball next time instead of making you uh, making you 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 talk business all day. Oh yeah, we'll talk basketball. I'm, <laughs> I can talk basketball any any time, any place, anywhere. So um, all right, all right, man. All right, Have thanks a, a lot, Nate. I'm yep. uh, I'm uh, back tomorrow with uh, Chris Pickard, who's a was a uh, used to be uh, in the analytics department for the Sacramento Kings, uh, is now a multi sport analyst where, who does work in both basketball and. Uh, soccer space and I'm going to chat with him tomorrow about, I don't know, maybe some trades. Uh, Thanks a lot for listening, everyone, and talk to you later.